This is the king of the Jews. This taunt goes throughout this part of the story in the mocking of the soldiers, the inscription on Jesus' cross, and the taunts of passers-by and the convicts crucified with Jesus. In this story of the crucifixion, there is very little material for the devotions of the Stations of the Cross, very little material for any movie. In fact, all Matthew has to say about the manner of Jesus' execution is, but when they had crucified him. That's it. Even the hours from noon until about three o'clock are shrouded in a mysterious darkness that covers the whole earth until Jesus cries out with a loud voice and gives up his spirit. And finally, we are given an image of the first fruits of general resurrection, the promise of new life for everyone, marked by an earthquake and by a kind of dramatic chorus as the soldiers who mocked Jesus and killed him in the name of the empire confess him as God's son. Anyone who's ever worshipped at Tenebrae during Holy Week will catch the resonances throughout this account from the Psalms, most especially from the 22nd Psalm, the 69th Psalm. The whole account is rooted in and surrounded by the devotion of Israel over the years. It marks a turning point in the history of Israel, indeed of the whole world that was covered in darkness. Matthew wants us to know that this story is the story of promise fulfilled, and nothing will ever be the same again. So first, the taunting, and the mocking, and the spitting. This is both disguised and ironic allusion to Jesus' majesty to be revealed in the resurrection, and also at the same time one more sign of the sin and the suffering that is its consequence in the weakness of the bully. Bullies are usually afraid of something, and they try and bolster their own sense of self and legitimacy by exercising raw power over another. The soldiers represent and are part of a system impotent against conviction, against belief, against righteousness. The soldiers are just doing their job, like the guards at Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq. Maybe their actions are the undisciplined actions of a few bad peoples, but they are consistent with the policy that sees the enemy as less than human, an object of scorn and ridicule, a source of dark, dark humour. What do you do when you're angry that things are changing and seem outside of your control? Some of us become despairing, <clears throat> to the extreme of suicide. Others of us perhaps create or join a reactionary movement fueled at least initially by anger. Anonymous or demeaning letters or emails or blog postings are some of the other means or mechanisms by which we try to bolster our own sense of potency at the expense of another. Most violent crime at its extreme, like rape, comes from this same fundamental sin, 
our attempt to justify ourselves at the expense of another, rather than to accept that we and they are beloved children of God. Jesus is not passive during the scourging and the mockery, but he is silent. And his silent his silence is condemnation of the sin of the world. No blaming, no bluster, no pointing at the other, no self-defense that would serve only to justify the system by which violence begets violence. The mechanisms by which we focus on, or blame, or scapegoat, or mock others rather than dealing with fundamental truths about ourselves co-opts all kinds of people and none of us is immune. Simon of Cyrene was co-opted to carry an instrument of torture just as we are when a state executes prisoners in our name. We are all implicated and none of us is innocent of the blood of the victims of the world. The only one in this story with anything resembling human or even regal dignity is Jesus. And so they crucified him. And from the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole earth until the ninth hour. As one commentator puts it, the darkness encompasses the whole world and puts everything under its spell. Nothing else happens for three hours. The cosmos holds its breath. We sense that something world-shaking, literally, is about to happen. And so we take these three hours away from the rest of our lives and we stop. We hold our breath. This dying and Jesus' time in the tomb are marked in the silence of every Eucharist after we break bread, everything stops. Everything stops on this day until Jesus cries out with a loud voice from the 22nd Psalm, his cry of absolute and utter abandonment in the context of absolute and utter trust in God. A Jew who died in the Warsaw Ghetto in 1943 left this testament. I believe the God of Israel, even when he has done everything to make me cease to believe in him. God has hidden his face from the world. I will put the sheets of paper on which I am writing these lines into an empty bottle and hide it here between the bricks and the wall beneath the window. If anyone should ever find them and read them, he will perhaps understand the feeling of a Jew, one of millions, who died abandoned by God, in whom he so deeply believes. One of my most frequent prayers for you and for me is that we will be granted grace to live until we die. And what I mean by this is that I hope we will have some capacity to create meaning, even if all we can do is to inspire or awaken or reinforce love in another. Jesus really had no options on the cross, but he prayed to the one who gave life in the first place, a 
prayer filled with lament, and at the same time, trust against trust, hope against hope. And then, and only then, he gave up the spirit. Jesus was never the walking dead. He showed no signs of drifting through life, half asleep, of deathliness as his governor. And even in the face of death, the king of the Jews continued to trust that the one who gave life in the first place was trustworthy. And so he unveiled all those mechanisms of sin which create and then destroy scapegoats and victims everywhere. The veil of the temple was torn in two, and in that unveiling is the beginning of reasonable and holy hope. For we can never again be blind to our own actions and can begin in grace to be part of changing the world for good. This is indeed earth-shaking stuff. The unimaginable, the unthinkable, is taking place. It's not so much that death is overcome. Jesus had to die, and so will we. It's rather that the power of death is overcome. And those who dwell in death, those governed by deathliness, those going through life half asleep, those who dwell in death may now have life. But when the centurion and his people who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and saw what was happening, they were filled with great awe and said, truly this man was the Son of God. 